listen listen my sons to a father's instruction pay attention and gain understanding i give you sound learning so do not forsake my teaching when i was a boy in my father's house still tender and an only child of my mother he taught me and said lay hold of my words with all your heart keep my commands and you will live get wisdom get understanding do not forget my words or swerve from them do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you love her and she will watch over you wisdom is supreme therefore get wisdom Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Listen, my son, accept what I am I say and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well for it. It's your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on, on it. Turn away from it and... Go on your way, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They, they are robbed of slumber till they will make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like the deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Thanks, Roscoe. A bit of irony, the, the passage is written from the point of view of a father instructing his children, but well done, you've done admirably. <laughs> There's our link to Father's Day, I should have got that earlier. Uh, we are going to be addressing that question, what should I do now, how do we make decisions? Um, part of what we're going to be talking about is wisdom, hence reading from uh, Proverbs 4. You can keep your finger there, we, we won't refer to specific verses there, but again, like last week, grab an outline... Uh, we'll be referring to a number of different passages on the way through. Uh, and if you can just note the reference, that will be uh, of service to you later. Uh, once upon a time, many years ago, I was employed in the hospitality industry, uh, clearly. Uh, and in the restaurant I worked at, I had many duties, uh, from dish pig through to uh, clearing tables and whatnot. But after I'd served a bit of time, I got promoted. 
I got to be, I, I got given the responsibility of making coffees. <laughs> uh, we didn't make a lot of coffees in our restaurant, particularly in the shifts that I did, but that became my job. And uh, I was trained for that job. Uh, let me run you through how I was trained. This is, this is the training course I had. Here is the coffee grinder. Grind it, push it down, put it in the machine, press a button, froth some milk, and you have a coffee. Voila! It's that easy. Uh, if anyone's ever used a commercial coffee machine, you'll know there's a little bit more to it than that. But that was a training I got, and, and roughly that's how long my training in coffee making took. The result? Uh, not good coffee. <laughs> and it was incredibly frustrating, actually, because I could never get it right. I just I, I couldn't make a coffee work. Uh, sometimes I got nice coffee out of the machine but made terribly burnt milk. Sometimes I got no coffee out and sometimes made really nice milk but never at the same time. Some of my coffees got drunk. Uh, some of them got sent back, which was a little humiliating. And I came to dread making coffee <laughs> because I just didn't know how to do it well. Thankfully, I've learned a little bit then, since then. But at the time, I just wasn't given the guidance I needed. And so I hated the task. Sometimes life feels a bit like that, doesn't it? Sometimes we, we feel frustrated when it comes to parts of life because we just don't feel like we have the guidance we need. <laughs> we don't feel like we've been given all the information we need to get through and to make decisions. Okay, we've, we, we, we've been given a lot. <laughs> we, we've got a Bible which teaches us about God, which shows us Jesus and points out how we get life in him. But there's so much more, isn't there? <laughs> What about where we should work? What about who we should marry, if we should marry? What about how we should parent our kids? What about the sort of house we should live in? What about how we retire? Etc, etc. I mean, every day we make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions. Every year we make big and important decisions, life-changing decisions. And so often we just have to do our best and do it without much guidance. How do we make decisions? What, what do we do now? How do we work our way through that process? Well, that's hopefully what we're going to answer together this morning. That's, that's our goal today. The first thing to note is it's good that we want to use our Bibles in that. that that's a really good desire. The sad thing is we, sh we, we so quickly assume that the answers we want aren't actually there. See, what we have in the Bible is more than a handbook. I think it's, it's important that we realise that. What we have in the Bible is more than just a handbook for living. The Bible is a story. Uh, in fact, the Bible is the story. It's the story of the world. It's the story of the universe. Uh, it's the story of our place in all of that. Uh, the Bible tells us that God is the author of that story, but he's also the chief actor in that story. He, he's there planning and, and guiding and, and directing. He's there at the start, he's there all the way through and he's going to be there at the end. And in fact, he's already planned what that end will look like. He's, he's laid it out, both in terms of the universe as a whole but in the terms of your life as well. That, that's what Paul is describing for us when we get to Romans 8. Uh, he writes this, For those he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. 
those he justified, he also glorified. Putting aside all the jargon, putting aside all the big words, do you see what it's describing? Paul's telling us God's at every stage of our lives. Not only at the beginning, not only when we come to him, but every step on that journey and the end as well. It's all set out, it's all planned. The God who calls his people plans out their life, he sets their destination and that will be glory. (laughs) That's what's coming at the end. That's what he is working in you towards. That's good to know, isn't it? (laughs) God is guiding your life. Not only has he set the start, he's set the end as well. It's all in his control. But that's pretty broad strokes, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's good to know. But what does that change in our day to day? How does it help us in decision making? How does it help us in our choices? And I think the conclusion we often find is not very much. (laughs) And so what we do is we go looking for guidance elsewhere, don't we? (laughs) You know, we we think, well, I'll I'll make the choice that gives me the most inner peace. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll put out a fleece and see what God tells me. (laughs) I'll, I'll wait for a sign. I'll wait for that small, quiet voice and then I'll know what to do. Well, it's true. Uh, In the past, God has shown he can speak and guide his people in any number of ways. You only have to look through the Old Testament and see he can do incredible things to tell his people what he wants. He uses angels. He uses voices, both loud and soft. He uses a burning bush. He uses a finger writing on the wall. He even uses a donkey at one point. God can use all sorts of things. But we have to be careful with that. Because just because God has done it in the past is not a promise that he will do it again in the future. Even less a promise that he will do it for us. All of those times were special times, weren't they? And they were for for special people in special parts of God's plan. Now I'm not saying that you're not special, you are, but their position was unique. I think we know that. That's why you know, people will talk about putting out a fleece. But no one talks about waiting for a donkey to speak. <laughs> well, I mean, you might have, but that would put you in a minority for sure. See, I think we know this. We know that God won't use those things in our life. He may use those things. We can't rule that out. He may. But he probably won't. He probably won't. Why? Because he's given us his word. (laughs) And what more do we need? In it we have everything we need for life. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You see what Peter's saying there? Everything... For life and godliness. There's not a lot missed there. There's there's nothing missed there, is there? Everything we need through our knowledge of him, how do we learn of him? By his word. It's all there. We do not lack a thing we need to live in this world. That's why David can celebrate in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you read the Bible, it never tells us, it never urges us to seek a sign 
from God. <laughs> Never. But what it does tell us is to read our Bible. <laughs> because that's what we need to get us through life. Not signs, not, not special words or special revelations. We need the Bible. And in it we have all the guidance we need given to us by God. Unfortunately, though, we, we tend to act like every guy who's ever put together flat pack furniture, uh, or who's ever installed a new TV or piece of technology. You know, wh- wh- what's the first thing we do? Empty the box, instructions to the side, we can do it. <laughs> we can do it. Like, how hard could it be? Plug goes in there, screw goes in there. It's simple. <laughs> how hard could it be? Well, it's sad, isn't it? Because the Bible gives us all the guidance we need. And as every guy who's ever done that knows, eventually one moment you have to swallow your pride and pick that instruction book back up. So too we need to swallow our pride. Because in the Bible we have the guidance we want. We have the guidance we need to get us through life, to face each situation, to face each decision and to do it well. (laughs) Not just to get by but actually to do it well and to live well. How does the Bible do that? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us what is right and what is wrong. You know, when you, when you look through, actually the range of topics in which the Bible gives us very clear guidance on is enormous. It shows us what is good, what is bad, and it shows us how to choose what is right or choose what is righteous and pleasing to God. But... There are a lot of things, particularly in the day-to-day, which are, which are not covered by those right or wrong categories. But that's where the Bible gives us even more help. <laughs> because beyond that, the Bible says wisdom guides us. That's what we, we read from Proverbs 4. We have this book full of wisdom. And I, I don't know if you noticed, as Roscoe was reading that, the promises of wisdom that are laid out for us there. They're, they're, they're remarkable. Wisdom promises to set us on a straight path. It promises us... Uh, to remove stumbling blocks before us, to keep us away from evil, to guide us to a good and full life. See, wisdom is our guide. When, when, when right and wrong doesn't cover the situation, wisdom guides us. Wisdom helps us to make right choices. Well, what about beyond that? Because even, even on the next level, there's, there's things that wisdom doesn't guide us on. Well, there we have freedom. We have freedom. We're going to unpack that in a moment. But, but first, let's just see those categories uh, in action. Let, let's, let's try to apply it to a situation. Let's think about work or career. Uh, when I was in high school, year eight, we had careers day. and I, I don't know how they do it now, but we got given a massive big fat book and it had every possible career or job uh, laid out. In, and, and on that day, we went through the book and we found things that we thought were interesting. Well, I found my dream job that day. <laughs> it wasn't here at that time, sorry. <laughs> Just to bo- pop that bubble for you. Uh, my dream job was a powder monkey, uh, a shot firer. <laughs> you know, the guy who sets off fireworks on New Year's Eve or the guy who blows stuff up in the mine. That was my dream job. <laughs> in fact, it's still quite tempting. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all about making things go bang. That was my passion. That was my strength at the time as well. I was good at that. I probably still am. So I figured that was a good choice. Let's apply these categories in. Is it right or is it wrong to work as a shot fire? 
Well, the Bible says it's right to work, that work is good, that it's a right thing to do. The Bible says it's wrong not to work if you could work. The Bible says it's wrong uh, to do immoral work, uh, which I don't think shot firing really fits into. Now, there's lots of other things that the Bible says are right and wrong about work, but I think we can quite safely say that being a shot firer is not wrong. So is it wise (laughs) or unwise? Here we might be a bit divided. (laughs) I thought it was wise because it filled my passions and my gifts. It spoke to my strengths. You might argue that it's unwise because it's dangerous or at least higher risk than most jobs. We could also argue that it's unwise because the work is unreliable. Uh, It's probably not consistent. It fluctuates with the fortunes of the mining industry. We could also argue it's unwise because it would take you to remote places uh, and thereby raising a family would become more difficult. Again, there's, there's lots more we could say about that. So could I choose to be a powder monkey? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I could. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's not a wrong thing to do. Maybe it's unwise, but it's not wrong. And so therefore it is a legitimate thing to do. We could st- I could still choose to do that. It's not sinful. Now, it is unwise, probably. But all that means is I would have to deal with the consequences of an unwise choice. It's not wrong. Just unwise. Which is one of the reasons I chose not to do it. And we could use other examples. Right or wrong, wise or unwise. At the end of the day, the Bible gives us the guidance we need because it points those things out to us. What is right, what is wrong. What is wise, what is unwise. And beyond that, it gives us freedom. Uh, Phil Jensen and Tony Payne in their book on guidance say the Bible is less of a map and more of a compass. It doesn't set out every detail along your journey. It doesn't point out what every part's all about. It's more like a compass. It gives you a heading. It gives you corrections along the way. But in that direction, so many of the decisions are just up to us, to what is good, what is, sorry, to what is wise, what is unwise in the situation. Now, in one sense, that's a bit scary. <laughs> We'd love to be given more specifics because it frees us from that burden of responsibility. <laughs> but it's good because what we're being told here is that there are many ways through life and lots of them are valid. There are right ways and there are wrong ways and we should avoid what's wrong. But within that, there are lots of ways and they are all equally legitimate. Within that, we are free. But I think that last bit makes us a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? We're free? (laughs) Really? What does that mean? How how does that look? Are we really free to make those choices? Well, the answer is yes. (laughs) This is what Jesus said in John uh, 8.32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And a couple of verses later, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus gives us freedom. Not only does he give us life, he gives us freedom. But we need to look into what that means. Because the first thing it means is that it implies that there was a time we weren't free. (laughs) 
You, know, you don't have to free someone who's already free. There was obviously a time in which we weren't free and that's what Paul describes in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. He says, you used to be slaves to sin. You used to be slaves to sin. Now that wasn't the way the world was intended. When, when God created the world, when he put his people into the world, Adam and Eve, he did so without sin. They were, they, were, they were free from sin and they were able not to sin. They could say no, they could live without sin. But we know the story, don't we? We, we know what happened. They did sin, they rebelled against God, they disobeyed his ways and they fell. And what happened in that moment was everything changed. They and everyone since, including us, are now, instead of being able not to sin not able not to sin. Do you see the difference there? We are now slaves because we are trapped in sin. All our choices are made in sin and thus influenced to sin. You know, it's, I guess it's kind of like living near Chernobyl, isn't it? You know, everything is, is tainted by that touch of radiation there. So too in our lives. We, we can't escape it. We live as normal but everything's touched by that sin. We're trapped by it. We're unable to break out of it. But all of that changed. All of that changed in Jesus because he frees us and he breaks us out of that slavery to sin. And in him, once again, we are free, able again to choose not to sin, able to choose what is right, able to choose what is good. And that is a very good thing. Here's what Paul says in Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See we are, uh, we are freed to life. <laughs> Before we were, we were under sin we were held captive by it under the curse of its penalty that is death. Now we are given life. We are promised life. We are free. Uh, a little while ago we uh, had a trial in our house. We trialled uh, using a playpen to contain Jethro and to keep him out of literally everything. Uh, and it worked. It worked. Uh, once he was in, he was trapped. <laughs> he couldn't do anything outside of that playpen. He was, we could say, a slave to that playpen. Uh, and by his, uh, by his reaction, I think he felt exactly like he was a slave to that playpen. But Amira, on the other hand, Amira was free. She could choose to, to climb over and inside the playpen. She could choose to climb out, outside of the playpen, which drove her brother absolutely wild. Sometimes she chose badly and she climbed in and created all sorts of issues and, and got frustrated. Sometimes she chose rightly and climbed out and was free again. And that's a bit like us, isn't it? <laughs> Before Jesus, we were like Jethro. <laughs> We were trapped, we were stuck, enslaved in sin, unable to do anything outside of it, <laughs> unable to, to escape. But after Jesus, we're freed. We're freed to be like a mirror, to choose to go back in or to choose to go out. We're not trapped any longer. We're instead free to act and free to do good. But here's the thing. Sin is still in us. We're free, it's beaten, 
but it's not gone. And that's why Christians still do bad things. Because its power still is there to some degree and it still pulls us and tempts us back in. But that's where God gives help. Because not only does he free us, but he sends his spirit to live in us, to teach us, to to go to war against those urges of sin and instead to, by the Bible, love what is good, love what is right, love what is outside of sin. And so the spirit shapes us to that. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 5, those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. See, the Spirit teaches us to love the things of God. He sets our mind on the things of God, on what is good and what is right. See, we are truly free in Jesus. We are saved from sin, slavery and death. We are free to choose. We are free to live again as we were supposed to. And we've been given this gift of God living in us to help us live well and to choose right. So we are free. (laughs) We are genuinely free to choose between good things. Our our preferences are okay. We're allowed to follow our preferences. Within the bounds of what is right, we are free to choose. You can follow your desires there gladly, (laughs) without doubt, without anxiety and worry. You're free to choose where you live, whether you build or buy or renovate or rent. Uh, you're, you're, You're free to choose what you eat, whether you have white or wholemeal bread. You're free to choose whether you like knitting or fishing. You're free to choose to follow the eagles or the eagles. Uh, You're free to choose. (laughs) You're free to choose. But, (laughs) you knew it was coming. It's all too good to be true, but. (laughs) But that freedom does have a boundary. And God's word shows us what that boundary is. Galatians 5 verse 13. You, my brothers... He's talking to the church. You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. See, there's there's the boundary of freedom, isn't it? It's love. (laughs) Everything outside of that is not freedom, but it's sin. The way we measure our free choice, the way we understand it, is by love. Uh, Mikey Lynch in his book writes this, God's word teaches us that we should be willing to freely curb the exercise of our freedom so as not to look down on others, cause disharmony, lead others astray or create barriers for evangelism. See, when we stand on our freedom to, to the detriment of others, we abuse it and we sin. And so when we exercise our freedom, we need to ask ourselves what those decisions are about, what those choices are about. Are they loving to our neighbour? Are they making those around us stumble or question their faith perhaps? Are they causing conflict with others? So you might be free to drink alcohol. I think the, the Bible gives us that freedom. But... If your drinking is causing another to question their faith or to stumble or to wrestle with temptation, then the right exercise of that freedom is to freely abstain because it's better and more loving. 
See, love guides our freedom. So choose well. Choose within what is right. Choose by what is loving. We don't impose our choices on others because remember we have freedom there. That would be limiting other people's freedom. We choose, we allow those around us to choose because we are free in Jesus. But in all of that decision making there's one more thing that we have to remember and that's how Jesus described the life of his people. Mark chapter 8 verse 34 to 36 If anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So that recasts the Christian life differently, doesn't it? The Christian life is not about doing the right thing, it's not about making the right decisions, it's not about trying really hard. Here is what the Christian life is about. It is all about following Jesus. Following Jesus, trusting him who died for us, and as he did, dying to ourself. If you think that sounds tough, <laughs> you are exactly right. It is. It is tough. But the only way to freedom in Jesus, the only way to a life that is good and eternal, the life that he alone promises, is by dying to self and living for him. I, I, I guess in a sense it's like a caterpillar. Uh, you know, a caterpillar doesn't become a butterfly by trying really hard. <laughs> they don't become a butterfly by following the, the right caterpillar techniques and eating the right caterpillar diet. No, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly by dying, in a sense, don't they? <laughs> they, they go into the cocoon and they, they essentially die. They're entirely uh, reshuffled and, and remade and they start completely new again. And that is what we are to do in Jesus. That is what we do in Jesus when we come to him and trust in him, we die to our old, sinful, enslaved self and we are remade, new and different in him. Not by a right choice that we've made, but by his death for us so that through him we get life. And not only is that how we start in him, but that's how we continue in him as well. Our life is defined by this, by, by dying to self, by putting sin to death, as painful and as hard as it is, by, by saying no to wrong choices, even though they might be easier choices, by suffering, suffering for the sake of Jesus and for his gospel. See, if we want to be a disciple of him, if we want to be a learner of Jesus, one who grows deeply, who makes more disciples, then this is what we need to live like, a life of dying to self of sacrificing for him. Now that means loving Jesus more than things. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It means being willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It means knowing all things here are temporary. Matthew 6 verse 20 But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, this life is not about making the most advantageous decisions that will give us the best life. It's not about entitlement. It's not about gain. It's not about comfort. It's not even primarily about enjoyment. Our free choice does mean enjoying the good things Jesus has given but it also means being willing to sacrifice them for him. Jesus has given us so many wonderful things, hasn't he? And we are free to enjoy them. We are called to to, to, to be glad for all that he's given. But we're also called to hold them all loosely and to hold him tightly, to be willing to sacrifice for him's sake, to be willing to give them up for him. And that should guide our decision making. Now that doesn't mean you have to live a life of complete austerity, a bland and pleasureless life, never you know, doing anything nice. It's not what it means. It simply means being willing to let go of that for his sake. We get this, this great exchange in uh, Matthew 10 verse 28. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Uh, Yes, your decisions will be costly. If you follow Jesus, there will be a cost. And it sometimes will be a very painful cost and a very difficult cost. But you will never miss out. You will never miss out. Because following Jesus means being with Jesus now and for an eternity in perfection. And whatever you give up here, you'll be repaid a hundred times and more there. You might be sitting there thinking, decision-making's just suddenly got a lot harder. <laughs> I kind of hope that's the case. <laughs> Sorry. Because decision-making isn't easy. The call to live a Christian life isn't easy. <laughs> uh, and if anything, I've probably given you less of a clear path but just more information to think about today. And that's good. Because we do need to think hard what it means to live well for Jesus. We do need to consider our decisions wisely, not just to make them automatically as attuned and accustomed to this world as we are, but to think, really, what does Jesus want for me in this? What's wise? What's unwise? We need to make decisions, but we don't need to fear in making those decisions. We don't need to be paralysed by the, the difficulty, by all the options. We don't need to be anxious about them. Instead, we remember God is in control. God gives us what we need, not just what we want. And God sees us to the end. So be confident to decide. Be confident to make decisions. Use God's word to guide you. Use it to discern what is right and wrong. Use it to discern what is wise and unwise. Use it to discern how and when you should sacrifice. 
And so just decide. (laughs) Just decide. Not fearing what might be, but trusting him in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your immense generosity to us. You have given us so much. We thank you for Jesus who died for us, who died to free us from slavery to sin and death and to give us life and to make us free. We thank you for your word, which teaches us your ways, which guides us in truth, what is right and what is wise. We thank you for your spirit, who lives in us, who renews our hearts and our minds, who teaches us to love what is good and to live well. Father, you have given us everything we need to live and to be godly in living for you. Help us to trust this and help us to be wise in making decisions. Father, help us to to long for what is right, for what is good, for what is wise, for what is loving and for what we need to sacrifice in living for you in this world. Guide us to live well and to live confidently for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.